Hello, my name is Lucette Moran. I am from the ECBA Volunteer Lawyers Project, which is part of the Erie County Bar Association. And I am here to uh, speak on behalf of VLP and Say Yes Buffalo. And today we are interviewing Talia Rodriguez. Can you please introduce yourself? Absolutely. I'm super excited to be here. My name is Talia Rodriguez, and I am a Buffalo native. And can you tell us which schools you attended? Absolutely. Um, so I went to public high school. Um, I attended St. John Fisher College. I was the second intern of Latina descent in history at the U.S. Supreme Court. I had the privilege of meeting Justice Sotomayor um, as an undergrad. I came home and I was an intern at the Court of Human Trafficking, Domestic Violence, and I studied at SUNY Empire State. I have a master's degree in social planning or social policy with a concentration in affordable housing development and planning. Um, and I earned that degree online before it was like a thing. So no one believed where I was in school at that time. Um, and then I went to UB Law. So I have a BA in political science, a master's degree, and a law degree. All from UB? Um, SUNY Empire State was oh. my master's. And then UB Law um, was my law school. And then I went to St. John Fisher College for undergrad. That's awesome. And so what do you do now? Um, so I work at college. Um, I am a neighborhood organizer. I have the privilege of working in between the neighborhood and all of the amazing organizations such as yours that represent the neighborhood and the college. Okay, so, so today we want to focus on your legal career, of course, but can you start by telling us how you realized that you wanted to go to law school or be a lawyer? Absolutely. So um, my family, I'm of mixed heritage. I'm biracial. Um, my Latino family was actively involved in the civil rights movement. When my grandma was born in Puerto Rico, she did not have the legal right to vote on the island. Um, so there were actually suffragists in Puerto Rico. So civil rights um, and social justice based ideas are really fundamental in our community conversation. It became aware to me as I was a student that a lot of the work or the fun part seemed to be done by lawyers. And um, I happened to be a very argumentative child. So my father is like, law school is the perfect place for you. But my, my grandma actually marched with Martin Luther King. So I, I earned the right for that seat. Um, was uh, were there any uh, obstacles or barriers that you encountered on your way to pursuing law school and your career? Absolutely, like my whole identity. Uh, <laughs> so I, a working class girl, come from public schools. I think for me, just part of what was hard was learning the language of higher education. What is a FAFSA? What is this? What is that? Um, one of the other things that was hard for me to set was to plan and identify what college was the best for me or what opportunity. Um, I got into like 14 different undergrads. So charting out my course was hard. And I think when I got to law school, it was also really hard because I was there to talk about social justice. 
And, you know, many of my colleagues were business attorneys. So uh, part of what I was interested in discussing wasn't always part of what my law school colleagues thought was important. Um, what what did you do to uh, to overcome those obstacles or to find other people who did want to talk about those topics? Um, so I always, Google is like my tool. So I ended up Googling and I found we had a national uh, Latino Law Students Association. There was a LASA on campus. So for those of you who are listening, there's identity-based groups at a lot of colleges and universities to support the students. Um, so I joined that group and, um, you know, three months into my first year, I was on a plane going to LA with two other experienced law students. Um, I then was elected at the conference to be uh, the executive secretary. So succinctly, I looked for identity specific groups that supported law students and then um, stayed involved nationally. So I ended up being the vice chair. And I believe I was the first person elected to office from UB Law to the National Latino Law Students Association. Wow. Um, so is there anyone that you look up to, uh, either, either someone you met at law school or someone in your legal career who inspires you in your work? Absolutely. So I, it's tough for me to answer this question, but I would say, um, so Deputy Mayor Rodriguez Daphne, um, when I was pursuing law school, um, Deputy Mayor Rodriguez was pursuing her admission. And um, I'm not sure how much you know about her, but her story included her sitting for the bar examination multiple times. So her humility and being able to continue to publicly study, to manage the conversations around um, her professional work, and then also being a lawyer and her, I would say, um, really diligent work, work ethic encouraged me because I felt like if something didn't work out, that didn't mean that all overall I was a failure. It just meant that I needed some time to recalibrate or learn um, or, you know, get good advice. Uh, are there also any people who you look up to as a mentor who've been able to provide you with guidance? So two people. Um, well, I have a lot of mentors because there's a lot of different parts of my life, Lucette. Um, I have the privilege of planning the Western New York Women's March. I'm on year four. I'm the chair of the Gender Justice Task Force. So for me, I have mentors in my piecework um, and I have mentors professionally, but there are two people who I will say I looked to when I was having questions of conscious, right? Um, so one was Mary Torres, who at the time was secretary of the ABA, American Bar Association. Um, she's an attorney from New Mexico who I met and just deeply impacted me. Um, we had similar journeys. And then the other was Dolores Escuelta, who I had the opportunity of meeting in LA, who was Cesar Chavez's um, partner in organizing. 
And she is still alive and an organizer today. Um, so I was able to meet her, talk to her a little bit about my grandma. Mary also knew my grandma's story. And it was really important for me to build coalition with Mexican-American women. Um, so I could broaden my understanding of Latino history, Latino politics. And, you know, I had resources outside of the city. How, uh, how do you recognize a good mentor? That's a good question. Um, I recognize a good mentor by uh, their spirit. I feel like mentors need to be compassionate. Um, and then conversely, I would say some of my mentors are very work-oriented. So I would say if you are looking for mentors, it's okay to have more than one, but just make sure that you know why you chose that specific mentor, um, as well as making sure that their personal journey is one that you would like to imitate because it's easy to give people advice professionally and exclude what your personal life is, but try to choose mentors that are okay with telling you their weaknesses or their failures themselves. Does that make sense? No, of course. I think that's really helpful. And have you found that now you've been in your career for some time that you have become a mentor for others? Yes. Yes. I've had, I've had that humble privilege. Um, one mentee of mine was the president of Adelante Estudiante Latino, which is an identity-based um, Latino group we have here at Buffalo State University. Um, and she, you know, is amazing. And I met her, she went on to earn her master's degree. I encouraged her to work at higher ed. So now she's at a college in the Bronx, um, changing lives. I also have another mentee, um, but I've had different mentees from the community for, uh, I sponsor a business competition in Lafayette High School. So I've also had mentees from the refugee and new American community who are just so tenacious and, you know, come to college with business ideas. So I've been very lucky that way for every single mentee I've had, they've taught me something about myself or organizational partners so that I could be a pre, um, pre-trial pre mediator. So, uh, so that things don't go to the court, we have mediation for um, things that would normally just take conversations. So small claims, for example. So I have the opportunity to join parties on Zoom or in person and serve to help them mediate their legal issues in an effort to streamline um, those other issues in other cases so they can go right to the judge. So all of the other um, cases can come to the mediator. So it's amazing. It's something that's certified by New York State. Um, you don't need to be a lawyer to do it, but it definitely helps. Um, so I also believe that you uh, worked in the legal profession before going to law school. Can you tell us more about those jobs? Absolutely. So I was offered a fellowship at the New York State Senate. Um, I turned that down to work for Erie County Volunteer Lawyers Project. Um, I worked as a paralegal in what I thought was a really innovative program, which were school-based legal clinics. Um, so at that time, I was studying for the bar. I was being supervised by an attorney. I was part of a larger effort of legal clinics, some of which are still running. Um, and my responsibility was to be a bridge like I am now in between the community 
and the university. But back then I was a bridge between the client and the attorney. Um, so I was a paralegal. I prepped the files. I prepped the clients. I also recruited clients. Um, and that was part of what I was really good at too, which was community-based outreach uh, to gain the confidence of black and brown communities who from historical trauma perspectives aren't always welcoming to talk to attorneys or lawyers. So that was one of the things that I had the privilege of doing was talking to my community about why civil legal representation was their right, why it was important, and that there were people that cared about them um, and that they could access services through the school-based legal clinic. So we were at school talking to parents and stakeholders and teachers and cafeteria workers about their legal issues. That's great. So um, if you could give our student listeners one reason why they should be interested in pursuing a career in the legal field of any kind, what well, of any kind of legal profession, I mean, what would you say to them? Um, the law outlines everything. It is the fundamental backbone of any uh, administrative system, the social benefit allocation system, so any social justice business, there is no business, capitalism, social justice without the law. So for me, I would say to a student, if you want to be able to affect systems and be better uh, able to advocate for yourself, study the law or find spaces where you could learn more about the law and the role of black and brown people in fighting for equal access to law school, to public school, which were really important. So a lot of people don't know the first case that was brought on a national level that got a lot of attention about um, schools and the classification of race was actually filed in California by someone who was Puerto Rican. And that was before Brown versus the Board of Education. So there's a lot of history in the law too. And there's a lot of things that you could learn about your community and yourself by studying the law. Talia, um, I want to ask you again about your family and specifically your grandmother. You told us that she was an activist. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my grandma was born in Puerto Rico in 1923. Um, when she was born, women did not have the right to vote. So she saw suffragists who were actively fighting for the right to vote. Also, I know it sounds silly, but the right to wear pants because women were arrested in Puerto Rico for wearing what they understood to be men's clothing, inciting a riot, I think, is what they threatened people um, with. So for me, my grandmother had a third grade education. It was really important to her that I access higher ed. Um, she saw it as like our ticket out of poverty. She also lived in public housing. So she was a very humble person. My father and my uncle helped to integrate both the NYPD and the police force here um, as Latino officers. And that was a really tough thing for them. And that was an expression of their advocacy. So for me, becoming an, a, a lawyer was kind of like a normal uh, succession in keeping in legacy with my family's um, dedication to social justice and public service. Um, and she actually lived in a one-room house with 11 people and a tin roof um, and was at my graduation at UB Law. And I 
I handed her the degree and I was like, this is yours. And I believe you have your own family now, correct? You're a parent. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a five-year-old. My five-year-old actually has a business. Um, He's an author. It's been a, a tremendous, amazing process to explain to him that mom's a lawyer, uh, to talk to him about legal terms, to see him be more confident uh, than I was in interacting with systems or understanding systems. I think that everything about my legal journey is going to inform the type of mom I am because I often um, reflect on some of the skills that I learned in law school and try to center myself anytime I need to flip on those listening ears uh, so I, I don't miss a beat. But yeah, he's five years old and the light of my life and definitely knows mom is a lawyer. How, what kind of advice could you give to people who uh, also want to both have a family and pursue a legal career? It's possible. It's possible. And depending on who you are or what culture you come from, people might put pressure on you and insinuate that you have to choose, uh, but you don't. And nothing is going to be perfect, but it's important that you talk to your employers about what your goals are professionally here at Buffalo State University. I'm in a union. I have an incredibly supportive boss. So it's really important that you find yourself in places that are supportive of your of your values. And for me, those center around family. Now, I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier when you were looking for schools. Um, and I know you talked about some of the obstacles you encountered, and I believe one of them was finances, correct? Absolutely. So, um, could you talk about how you addressed that while you were looking for schools? Yeah. So I was relentless. I just knew there had to be resources out there for me. And, um, this was before CES Buffalo, and there was a larger community conversation about scholarships as a part of social mobility in higher ed. So, um, I just, again, Google was my tool and just used every search word, free money, you know, stipend. I first did the research about how to find scholarships. And then what I did, and I tell people this to this day, is I kept an Excel spreadsheet with scholarships in the future I could apply for. So I had three different levels of scholarships, scholarships in the next three years, scholarships the next year, and scholarships I was eligible for. And from that Excel spreadsheet, um, I brought in $7,000. I was the first um, person from UB Law to win the Puerto Rican Bar Association scholarship. Um, I won scholarship money from the American Association of University Women. So, you know, broad stroke and any part of your identity, Google it because, you know, there's uh, scholarships for environmentalists and Christians and any part of what makes up you and your desire to go to law school can help uh, leverage some of those scholarships. So actually, I just, um, I also wanted to ask if there was anything else you wanted to tell us about your experience at the Supreme Court. Oh, absolutely. So when I was at the Supreme Court, it was a super huge deal because there is not a large Latino population in um, Washington, D.C. So a lot of my peer uh, and staff were interested in me or in my journey. Um, I actually ended 
out there as a part of a partnership St. John Fisher has with SUNY Brockport. So I would say I'm a SUNY baby, SUNY Brockport, SUNY Empire State, SUNY um, Buffalo Law. But I think one of the things that I would say about the Supreme Court was um, just understanding the privilege that I had in representing my community as well as the state, um, because I was the only person in my program who was uh, centered at the Supreme Court that was from New York State. So, um, you know, I learned an immense amount about the three tiers of government, but also about Washington, D.C. and what it takes to be successful in that environment. And I also wanted to ask you, um, you spoke a lot about how you've been able to do so many different types of, uh, of, of, well, of advocating and also um, community organizing, things like that uh, with your law degree and as a lawyer. Um, so can you talk more about the skills that you acquired through that training and, um, you know, how they're useful beyond just your work life? Absolutely. So, okay, categorically, it's three things. One, public speaking. Um, I addressed the Women's March four years ago. That moment changed my life. I learned those skills um, in law school, having the confidence to go in front of a group and project, right? Um, the second of which is timing and persuasiveness. Lawyers are incredibly concise. Um, that has helped me incredibly in higher ed also also, excuse me, um, in higher ed also, as oftentimes there are many people on the committee and sharing your voice, you have a limited amount of time. Um, and the other thing that I learned, or the other thing that I learned in law school that has helped me are one or two things. One is um, criticism, right? So when you leave law school, you understand the word world to be adversarial. Being able to anticipate um, that adversarialness and that criticism and absorb it in a way that doesn't reflect me taking things personally has really helped in my social justice work. And then I would also say writing. I was told that I was a terrible writer the entire time I was at law school, and it was something I really needed to work at. Um, and my professors were helpful, and the faculty were helpful, and the writing lab was helpful, but I don't think I realized um, how powerful my writing skills were. So when I left law school, ultimately, I, I'm a columnist. So um, my work is circulated in all of the papers in Western and Central New York that are bilingual. And a lot of my confidence in writing came from that process of like relearning how to write in law school. So that's great. And is there anything else that you would like to add for our student listeners about um, just about the experience of being a lawyer or, or, or law school? Yes, absolutely. One, there is a um, growing emerging area of tech in the law where technology and the law intersect. So that would be an amazing area for them to just Google. Um, the second would be follow identity affirming and identity specific platforms and organizations. Um, so Latina's Uprising is one of those platforms. Um, she now works for the city of Chicago, but she was an immigration attorney and made a platform about how to get into law school. Um, and then the third thing I would say is, and I know this kind of sounds rough, but like, don't listen to other people. I had a lot of people project as to what they thought the legal community was going to be like 
or what they thought being a lawyer was going to be like, and they were absolutely wrong. So I think one of the things that is really important for me is to tell the youth that their vision and creativity is what the future is going to be like. So take what they learn in law school and match that with their future vision and they'll probably get a closer reality to what practicing and being involved in the legal community will be like when it is their time to participate. Okay, well, thank you so much for talking to us today, Talia. Um, on behalf of the Volunteer Lawyers Project and Say It's Buffalo, um, we are just so grateful for you to take the time and um, we uh, hope, you know, we'll Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's been a privilege. Um, Volunteer Lawyers Project is something that I really admire um, and being able to contribute to say yes, it's so exciting. So again, thank you for having me.